0: Kale Clark here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. Mention offer code Radio and get a free phone. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Fascinating
1: facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio.
0: Hey, welcome to Thursday, the 13th of July. Instead of Friday, the 13th, it's Thursday, the 13th. I like it. And I like the fact that you're listening right now and you can call in 888-914-9149. That's a toll-free line to talk to me for free. 888-914-9149. It's our listener line for the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. And of course, you can also find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And email the program. Kale, C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com. And speaking of emails, I did get quite a few emails about yesterday's program, and I do apologize if you weren't able to get through on the phones. Our lines were jammed solid for the entire hour. We talked about this very intriguing phenomenon, very disturbing phenomenon of homeschooling moms, leaving their husbands, having affairs, provoked a lot of reaction from you guys, and a lot of you guys couldn't get through, and gals, so call back today. I will be dealing with this a little bit later. I'm going to read some emails from listeners, 888 It was one of those days where I wish I had a three-hour show because I could just keep going. We could have gone for about five hours on this topic yesterday. It really, really uh, lit up a fire under a lot of you and lit up the phone lines too. But we've got lots to talk about today as well because it is Thursday. I like to make it a Eucharistic Thursday because Thursday, of course, Holy Thursday, was the day that Jesus instituted the Eucharist. And as producer Jim says, you can't go wrong with Jesus and Mary. And that's what we're going to do right now because I want to talk about Our Lady of the Eucharist. There's got to be a parish somewhere named Our Lady of the Eucharist. If there isn't, there, there probably should be. Because the Blessed Mother has an awful lot to do with the Blessed Sacrament, maybe more than we think Maybe more than we think. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine 9149 is the number to call to talk to me. Toll free on the Kale Clark Show if you want to weigh in on this yourself. And I heard this talk that was given, kind of a meditation, a prayer meditation by Father Connor Donnelly. He's an Irish priest who's serving in Africa right now. I believe he's stationed in Kenya, if I'm not mistaken. And He was talking about this, the relationship between... Mary in the Eucharist. It was so interesting. I I just had to share some of this with you. And St. John Paul II, St. John Paul the Great, of course, he talked about Mary a lot. His whole papacy was, in so many ways, dedicated uh, to Mary and her intercession, that famous papal motto, totus tuus, totally yours, Mary, which he got from the writings of St. Louis Marie de Montfort, who helped him so much when he was discerning as a young seminarian. He was in the underground seminary during wartime uh, in Poland, and he had major questions. He, he really did ask the question that a lot of non-Catholics ask, does devotion to Mary, does does our love for Mary, our, our, our looking to her as a model of faith, does that in any way detract from our relationship with our Lord and God, Jesus Christ? And the answer is no, and de Montfort helped him to discover that, and that the papal motto totus Tuis." To I actually used that. Uh, when I got married to Patricia, we put that, we carved that on the inside of our Wedding rings, totally yours, because we have to be, of course, completely dedicated in our vocation, whatever that might be. And so, one of the things that JP two did was, in a couple of his writings in particular, he really highlighted the connection between Mary and the Eucharist. Of course, his letter called Rosarium Virginis Mariae, the Rosary of the Virgin Mary. And that was, of course, his big apostolic letter on the rosary, in which he introduced... The Luminous Mysteries, which we pray on Thursdays. The Mysteries of Light. And totally inspired, I think, by the Holy Spirit. Totally inspired of the Spirit. Because it's so nice to have this decade, this set of mysteries, dedicated to the public ministry, the public life of Jesus. And, of course, Our Lady was involved with that. Wedding feast at Cana. And also the institution of the Eucharist. Now, you might say, how is she involved in institution of the Eucharist. Well, I'm going to get into that in just a second. And then, of course, uh, he also wrote Ecclesia de Eucharistia, which was his last major encyclical before his death in 2005. And so, th- that's something that, um, that was a document that really highlights uh, Mary in the Eucharist as well. And one of the things that he said in the letter about the Rosary was this. JP 2 said, quote, that Mary is our teacher, our teacher in contemplating the face of Christ and she, she is because I think about her gazing at the face of our Lord as a newborn and all, all throughout his life just just wondering uh, at this incredible uh, truth of the faith the incarnation this great this great mystery and mystery doesn't mean it's an unsolvable puzzle it means it's a truth that's so deep when we talk about the mysteries of our Catholic faith that we'll never get to the bottom of it but we know that they're true like the Trinity that's another one so One of the things that he said also, JP two, was he said that Mary is the mother and model of the church. He said, quote, if we want to rediscover in all its richness, the profound relationship between the church and the Eucharist, we cannot neglect Mary, mother and model of the church, end of quote. Now, he said that in his encyclical Ecclesia de Eucharistia. Uh, the Eucharist and the Church. So if we if we really want to rediscover this in all its ri- richness, we need Mary because she's the mother of the Church. She's also the model of the Church. And, of course, the, the Pope that succeeded JP II, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, back when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, he wrote a book along with a, a very famous theologian, Hans Urs von Balthasar. Uh, it's actually on my desk, this book, and it's called Mary, the Church at the Source because Mary was, of course, the first Christian. She's the model Christian. She's the first person to say yes to God's plan to save the world through Jesus Christ and to participate in that plan. And boy, did she ever, did she ever. She gave the word flesh. So one of the things that JP two said when he was talking about the mysteries of light, um, as he sort of added those to the rosary, he said, well, "This is, when he was talking about the institution of the Eucharist, that, that particular mystery, he said, Our Lady can guide us towards this most holy sacrament because she had a profound relationship with the, with the Blessed Sacrament. She, of course, had the, the most profound relationship with our Lord on earth, but also with the Blessed Sacrament, the Blessed Mother and the Blessed Sacrament. And he said this, quote, At first glance, the gospel is silent on this subject because the account of the institution of the Eucharist on the night of Holy Thursday makes no mention of Mary. And It's true that she wasn't there. She wasn't in the upper room. There's no mention of that in the Gospels. But we do know this. So if we read the first book that comes after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. It's not so much the sword that killed Paul, but the Acts of the Apostles. That's a terrible joke. That's actually from Cardinal Collins. I like that one. I like that one. But uh, we know that Mary was there. She was there with the Apostles, with the nascent church, and they were praying together after the ascension of Jesus, waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And spe- speaking of jokes, I've got another one for you. How many apostles can fit into a car? The answer is all of them. All of them. Why? Because the Acts of the Apostles said that they were all in one accord. All right, I know that, that's, that's, that's cringeworthy. That's as corny as it gets. You can pray for me, please, Cale, let there be no more jokes, please. Uh, one more, what kind of card does Mary drive? The fiat, of course. Let it be done unto me. Okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll move on. But they, they were praying together. We do know that, that Our Lady was no doubt there at many Eucharistic celebrations. And there's kind of this bare-bones outline uh, of the Mass, of course, Uh, In the Acts of the Apostles, they gather together for the Apostles' teaching, for the fellowship, for the breaking of the bread and the prayers. It's kind of code for the Eucharist. And and so they did that. And don't forget, Mary went with St. John to Ephesus at the foot of the cross. The Apostle John is there, the young Apostle John. He was probably only a teenager at that time. And Jesus, before he expires, before he gives up the spirit, uh, he says, woman, behold your son's son. Behold your mother. And he's not just making domestic arrangements, although he was. Someone had to look after Mary. But also, this is, of course, a metaphor for the fact that Mary is our spiritual mother in the church. But just imagine, she goes with St. John to Ephesus. That's where tradition said that John the Apostle went. St. Paul writes a letter to the church at Ephesus, the famous letter to the Ephesians. Incredible. Now think about this. Imagine, Mary is a member of your Local parish congregation, can you? You are on your best behavior at Holy Mass. You better believe that you're listening, because she's gonna she's gonna give you that look, you know, as a mother can, and say, "Hey, pay attention here." <laughs> so, but wow, that, that's that's amazing to think about. To think about Our Lady receiving her son once again in, in the Eucharist. That's that's unbelievable. And th- this is um, something we have to understand that it all started with her interior life it all started with her interior life and jp2 would like to say this about our lady he called her a woman of the eucharist in her whole life in her whole life well how could she be a woman of the eucharist before the eucharist was ever instituted before the incarnation even happened even when she was young How, how did this happen well it did probably happen in the beginning because you have to understand that her faith and, and the way that she lived kind of set her up for, for all of this. And she was obviously set aside from all eternity for this holy task. And another thing that he said this was, was this. JP2 said, "There can be no one like our lady to act as our support and guide in acquiring this disposition." So if we want to have the same interior disposition towards the Eucharist as, as Mary did, then we really need to think about that. We, we, she can be our guide. She can help us to look at things the way she did. Think, think about when Jesus said at, at, at the Last Supper, the first Mass, he's instituting the Eucharist, he says, do this in memory of me. That sounds a lot like something that Mary said in the Gospel of John, right? The wedding feast at Cana. What, what did she say to the servants? Do whatever he tells you. Well, he's saying, do this in memory of me. Well, of course, we, we have to obey that. The church has always obeyed that. The Eucharist has been there from the beginning. But she did the same thing. She did the same thing. She did whatever God told her to do. That's why she said back in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, the Annunciation, Be it done unto me, fiat, according to your word. Said that to the Archangel Gabriel. And the same thing, she needs to pass this attitude on to everyone that's why she says it to the servants at the wedding feast at Cana and she's saying that to us as well she's saying that to us as well because when she's she was basically saying to those servants and kind of to us as well trust in the Lord you know Jesus I trust in you if he can change water into wine which he's just about to do then you have to also trust that he can turn wine mixed with a little bit of water into his very blood into his body, blood, soul, and divinity. So he can give us his life. He, he can really give us himself. And, and as just, whew, that's wild to think about. So she, she strengthened the faith of that young couple, and she can strengthen our faith as well, that Christ can work miracles in our lives, in our marriages, in our situations, as dire as they might seem, as hopeless as they might be. But also, he, he can do the stupendous miracle of the Eucharist every single day, every time the Mass is celebrated. So, this is, this is amazing, and, and Mary is absolutely locked into this. You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, because what happens to us when we receive our Lord at Mass, if we're in a state of grace and we can, we're well disposed to receive Jesus in the Eucharist, it's, it's kind of like, in some ways what happened with Mary, because she becomes a living tabernacle. She becomes a living tabernacle, and what did she say? Fiat, let it be done unto me. It's very similar to what we say when we receive Jesus in the Eucharist, when the priest, the bishop, uh, the deacon, whoever it might be, says, the body of Christ. We say what? Amen. And what does that mean? It means, essentially, so be it. Just like she said, fiat, You know, let it be done to me, so be it. Truly, truly, yes, I believe this. I buy into this. It it is true. And so, this is it. So, the one that she conceived through the Holy Spirit was both her son and God the Son. That's just absolutely incredible. She could see the physical after he was born, but and she knew. She knew the part that she couldn't see, that he's also conceived of the Holy Spirit. But we have to look at that eucharistic host which looks like bread smells like bread tastes like bread feels like bread and understand that it is not bread anymore it is jesus it is the son of mary and god the son wow risen from the dead ascended into heaven now he comes to us in this disguise as it were uh, under the appearances of bread and wine and we have to have and she, her faith can help us to have faith in this because we do need faith to see Jesus, to understand that he's there. And so she was kind of the first tabernacle in human history. It, we become tabernacles as well when we receive Jesus. That's the one time after we receive communion at Mass that we don't genuflect to the tabernacle when we're going back to our pew because we are a tabernacle at that point. We have our Lord uh, living inside of us. And so it's pretty awesome to think about. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, 888 914 Nine one four nine's Kyle Clark show on Relevant Radio. Here's what uh, JP two said: Saint John Paul II quote is not the enraptured gaze of Mary when she contemplated the face of the newborn Christ and cradled him in her arms, that unparalleled model of love, which should inspire us every time we receive Holy Communion. End of quote. So, do we have that same awe and wonder when she contemplated the face of the newborn Christ? When we receive Jesus in the Eucharist, do we have that same awe and wonder every time we receive Holy Communion? Can can we really say that? So that, that's that's one way in which Mary can can help us uh, and uh, Our Lady of the Eucharist, if you will. But she can also help us with the fact that the Mass is a sacrifice, the the holy sacrifice of the mass and, and that sacrifice was something that she had to deal with from the get-go as soon as Jesus was born and they have to go to the temple of course to present him Mary and Joseph Simeon that old man and we see this in Luke's gospel he says to her this child is going to be a sign of contradiction it's going to re- the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed <laughs> people will be cut to the heart i mean they're going to have to make a choice for or against god for or against christ but also, a sword is going to pierce your heart too. And this is foreshadowing, of course, the stab at matter, you know, and she's at the foot of the cross. That's when it happened, when she watched, watches her son tortured, watches him die. And it's, it's interesting, uh, this idea of her daily preparation for that. From that moment, I don't think there was any day, I can't prove this, of course, but I, I highly doubt there was any day that went by in her life when she didn't think about that conversation. Her daily preparation for what was to come, the sacrifice of Calvary, desire, offering. She wanted she wanted the will of God to happen, of course, but it wasn't going to be easy. And so this is kind of what we, what we have to do as well. We have to partake in, in the sacrifice as well. We have to make ourselves a living sacrifice. That's what St. Paul says in his letter to the Romans. We have to become a living sacrifice and of course the problem of the living sacrifice as opposed to the the dead animal sacrifices of the old covenant the, a living sacrifice can always crawl off the altar and run away we can run away but we can't do that we have to sort of take the words of christ and kind of apply them to our lives this is my body which is given up for you and that's essentially what mary said this is my body and i and i and i i give myself my total being to god whatever he wants to do however he wants to use me and my particular role is to be the mother of his son, the mother of his many brethren, uh, sisters and brothers in the church throughout all time and unite myself with Christ. And that, that's it's pretty crazy to think about. Every time Mary received the Eucharist, it was a reunion with Christ, <laughs> welcoming him once again within her. Unbelievable, unbelievable. It, it just kind of boggles the mind. And I'm sure that, Theologians have written about this uh, from the beginning, and and there's one last thing we we can say about this is that I think we have to, as as Father Donnelly says, we have to reread the Magnificat. It, it really Luke's Gospel says so much about Mary. Uh, he probably interviewed her. He made certainly a an investigative journalist type of report and searching about the life of Christ. All all this stuff it, from Mary's perspective winds up in Luke's Gospel, and Father Donnelly says, you've got to reread this, especially the Magnificat, the famous Magnificat in a Eucharistic key. Uh, that's an interesting way to think about that, to, to look at the Magnificat, that famous prayer of Mary, and read it in light of the Eucharist. What does she say? And this is when she's with Elizabeth, of course, and our, our Lord is within her. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And that's where the word magnifies, it's the first word in the Latin translation of the scriptures of this this prayer, this beautiful song prayer, Magnificat it, it, my soul magnifies the Lord, it's kind of like a magnifying glass right, we want to make our Lord greater and greater and greater very much like John the Baptist said in, in John's gospel, he must become greater, I must become less he must increase I must decrease, not about us it's about Christ and so that, that's what we kind of have to do as well, we've got to magnify the Lord. And she says, what? Our, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Do you rejoice in the Eucharist? Do you praise Him? And when you receive our Lord in the Eucharist, you can praise Him with Him, in Him, through Him. He's living in and through you. And this is awesome. And through Him, with Him, and in Him, oh God Almighty Father, all glory and honor is Yours forever and ever. we got to give Him that glory. Because it, it belongs to to him. And so, this is pretty awesome. For he who is mighty, uh, just keep going here, he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, this is the Magnificat, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Holy is the Holy Eucharist. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and no greater act of power than this miracle of the Eucharist, he's done great things for you. He's, he's given himself to you, body, blood, soul, and divinity. He's pulled down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of low degree. He's filled the hungry with good things. <laughs> There's nothing greater than, than to be fed with the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. And, and talk about this great reversal. Yeah, the mighty are pulled down from their thrones, those of low esteem, those who are humble, those who are broken, those who are sick, those who are destitute... They Get the grand prize. We are all on a level playing field here. We get God, we get to receive God. Talk about upward mobility. We're we get to share in this. It's it's, un, it's unbelievable. And so, this is what we have to do. We've got to make our whole life a magnificat, a Eucharistic magnificat. I think it's, it's what it's all about. Now, I, there's so much we could say about this. I think we'll have to save the rest for another time, but I'd love to hear what you think about this you can call in right now 888 9149 we'll be back with your phone calls right after this kale clark show on relevant radio to
2: the everlasting Father, and the son of
0: Hi, this is Cale Clark. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. They're a pro-life phone company and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. For a limited time, new customers who mention offer code Relevant Radio get a free phone with free activation and free shipping. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com.
2: Jesus Lamb of God, saving love for all, Lord of heaven and earth, Father's love for all, I bow to you. Jesus Lamb
0: of God, saving love for all. Hey, welcome back to The Cale Clark Show on this Eucharistic Thursday. We talked about Our Lady of the Eucharist, Our Lady and the Eucharist in the first segment. If you missed that, podcast should be about, about half an hour or so. If not sooner after this program. So keep it locked on the relevant radio app. Just look for that or wherever you get your podcasts. We are always there for you. But we're here live right now, and you can call in on the Kale Clark Show, 888 9149. Let's go to Aaron in Hastings, Michigan. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Cale. Thanks
3: for taking my call. Especially to being it. up top there like this. Oh, that's um, awesome. My question is I'm actually coming back to the Catholic phase.
0: That's great um, news. From
3: the state of the contest movement. Oh, really? Okay. And oh. I was actually wondering what would be a good Bible for somebody coming back.
0: Mm. that's a really good question. First of all, welcome home. Uh, that is fantastic news. Really happy to hear that, Aaron. And uh, I would say the the Bible that I kind of recommend to people there is, a, as my friend Colonel Collins likes to say, he always carries a little red leather bound copy of the New Testament in his pocket. Why the color red? Well, he says the Bible should be red, and he loves puns, and that's certainly true. So whether it's the color red or not, that doesn't matter, but it's the one that you're actually going to read. So the best translation is the one that you're actually going to read. So if you prefer one over another, uh, even if other people might say, well, I think this one's better, the one that you're going to read, they're all pretty good. They all have, none of them are, are quite perfect, because whenever there's translation going on, whenever you're translating anything, there's always interpretation going on as well. So if you can kind of imagine kind of a a line, like a continuum, if you will, from one extreme to the other, from one end to another, Bible translations are somewhere along this line of either being very, very rigidly um, word for word from the original language into whatever contemporary language you're looking at, whether it's an English Bible, a French translation, Spanish, German, whatever extremely literal word for word or at the other extreme extremely paraphrastic and that's where you're not so much translating the words word for word but you're trying to translate the idea that's being said so there's some very uh, I remember reading a a few of these uh, especially during my, my time away from the Catholic Church in the evangelical world there was a famous translation called The Message by Eugene Peterson in which that was very much paraphrastic it was It was just simply the ideas uh, represented almost as paragraphs, the the thought units, as opposed to the uh, actual words. So, so you're going whatever translation that you have, it's going to fall somewhere along those lines. But I prefer, I personally prefer something that's a little more word for word. And this is just me talking. Uh, You might go in a different direction, but I I prefer something that's a little bit more of a direct translation because I want to get as close to the original. Uh, words as possible um, and like I said there, there there are a lot of really good ones the one that I personally recommend is called the Revised Standard Version Second Catholic Edition and sometimes that's abbreviated as RSV 2, the number 2 CE, Revised Standard Version Second Catholic Edition, so that's not the Revised Standard Version, the Revised Standard Version is fine, but there, there's a couple things with it and I'll explain that in just a second, but the second Catholic edition. Uh, why, why do we need a second Catholic edition? Well, there used to be something called the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, the RSVCE. Why do we need a second CE, a second Catholic edition? Well, basically what they did was they went through the document and they took out some of the archaic old English language, like the, literally the, the, <laughs> the, thou, that sort nobody really talks like that. Uh, unless you're at medieval times uh, having a, a feast of some sort. Uh, but uh, no, it, it, so it's more, it's more uh, the type of English that we see in the written word, the spoken word today in the 21st century. So they cleaned up a little bit of that stuff. And other than that, it's great. Now, one, one reason why I do like the Revised Standard Version 2nd Catholic Edition also is because of something we just talked about. We talked about Our Lady. We talked about the Gospel of Luke and the Annunciation scene. This is one of my pet peeves. This is really one of my pet peeves, and I've talked about this before, but in Luke chapter 1, uh, when the archangel Gabriel uh, comes to Mary, it's the annunci- Annunciation scene, uh, here's what he, what he says. He says, Hail, full of grace. This is Luke one twenty eight. He came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. And of course, that's from the Hail Mary prayer. Don't let anybody tell you the Hail Mary is not biblical. And then just a few lines later, we have the, the rest of the first half of the Hail Mary prayer. When mary is with her cousin elizabeth and of course what does she say to mary she says ah here we go da, 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 da. Uh, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb and of course we add the word jesus in there in the middle of the prayer but at any rate when, when gabriel says hail full of grace the lord is with you very often in english translations of the bible It'll say something like, Hail, O highly favored daughter, or something like that. That's not even what it says in the original language, in the original Greek text of the New Testament. Uh, It says, Kekeratomene, and that's actually really an interesting word. It means one who has been made full of God's grace. It's a past perfect in Greek. So, something happened perfectly in the past, at some particular point in the past, and it carries out forever, as far as the eye can see, and beyond, into the future, Forever. And so that's really what happened with the, uh, with the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady. And so at the very moment of her, of her conception, she was made free. <laughs> uh, no stain of original sins. That's, that's interesting. That's one of the places it's kind of implicit in the text. But, but most English translations really butcher that. But I, I really like that it says, hail full of grace. Of course, that's what it should say. And um, it's the first time that an angel refers to someone by their title. Uh, not their name, if you will. So that, that's kind of a long explanation, but, that, but Aaron, I hope, hopefully that's helpful. That's the one that I recommend. It, it, to me, it strikes the best balance for me between readability and sticking closer to the original text. Does that make any sense?
3: Thank you. And you said it was the um, RSV Second Catholic Edition?
0: Yeah, Yeah, so RSV Second Catholic Edition. There's a good version of this that's published by Ignatius Press. It's called the Ignatius Bible. That's uh, that's one place you can go, so you can check their website or Amazon, wherever. And uh, that's the one that's sitting right in front of me. Uh, and they actually have a great study Bible version of this as well, uh, with notes from Scott Hahn and Curtis Mitch that help to illuminate the text. That's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. The, uh, the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, New Testament edition. They're working on a... I don't know if the Old Testament is completely done yet. They were working on the individual books of the Old Testament, and they were kind of releasing them as as individual books, but uh, I think they're going to have a whole set and eventually a whole Bible, a whole study Bible. I don't know if that's fully completed yet, but the New Testament is done in one volume, which you can get the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, New Testament edition, revised standard version translation, second Catholic edition. So, hey, got to ask you this before you go, Aaron. What what brought you back to the
3: Orthodox um, Catholic faith? It was actually sensing... It's difficult to explain, but... um. What drove me away at first was the lack of reverence when it came mm-hmm. to entering into the church. Okay, church and leaving, and what drove me back was, strangely enough, a different priest was one, because mm. um, the other priest and I didn't really mesh very well. I don't think. At least I, every time I try to get close to him, I ask him to. Help me with something. He would say, "No, I don't have the time." This hmm. one's actually trying to help, <laughs> and wow. and plus, he's actually a lot more reverent too.
0: Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's it's that makes a difference to people. I think a lot of people. Thanks, Aaron, for for saying that. Welcome back. Uh, welcome home uh, to the Catholic faith and full communion with Rome and. And the the reverence of the priest, how a priest celebrates Mass, that really does make a difference. People can kind of sense that, you know, how seriously he's taking that. And um, I appreciate, I mean, I personally appreciate liturgy done well uh, also, and and it should be done well. It's absolutely uh, crucial. So thanks for that call, Aaron, in Hastings, Michigan. Really appreciate that. Let's go now to line three. Kathy is in Wisconsin. Hi, Kathy.
1: Uh I have a real quick question. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh I just wanted to get your advice. Uh, I'm a cradle Catholic. I I kind of was uh, left the church uh, about uh, maybe 21 or so, 22, uh, and I went I went to an Assembly of God in my area. I was invited to by someone. Anyway. Um, I was learning a lot, and I met a lot of nice people my age and older and stuff, Mm -hmm. but it was a real smaller congregation like I was used to at the Catholic Church. And, of course, they sing and raise their hands and everything else, but it wasn't too out of control. But um, the thing is, is that uh, as I was getting more into it, and, uh, you know, I was like, it was the flesh that was... Uh, I I got to keep this short. It was you know the excitement of it that was attracting Mm -hmm. me, and eventually I went. I came back to the church maybe four years later or five years later, and met my husband who is uh, who converted to Catholicism. He was nothing before that. Uh, I think he's a. Seventh of eight kids, and his his mom had them. Um, I'm I'm getting into a little detail here, mm-hmm. but they some of them were raised in the church, and the okay. reason they left is. Oh, and my question is, uh, I um I at one point in my you know egotism and know it all sure. <laughs> attitude, I you know kind of yelled at my brother and my mom, and I, you know I was like you know I was trying to I, I wasn't like you know, hateful way saying say anything mm-hmm. about Mary, but I was trying to make Jesus more important than Mary. It kind of irritated me, and we'd get in a little... Mm-hmm. Dis- okay. But do I need... I mean, I've repented over it, but do I need to go to confession before I go to communion?
0: Well, yeah, I, I, think, I think, well, thanks for calling for your question, uh, Kathy. And as I understand it, you're basically asking, you used to almost, in a sense, you feel like you're putting down Mary, in a sense, to your family in the past out of a desire to uh, respect the centrality of Christ, uh, the, the ultimate, of course, uh, realization that Christ is God. We've got to keep our focus on God, and does Mary detract from God? And again, that was the same question that John Paul II asked. And maybe you said something uh, that, that seemed to denigrate her a little bit. Um, obviously, your motivation in that case would have been to defend our Lord, and uh, I don't think Mary would, would have been offended by that in any sense of the word because she obviously wants to draw people to her son. That's her whole raison d'etre, if you will. Uh, but um, I, I don't. So it wasn't out of malice, I don't think, by the sounds of it. I don't want to you know, psychoanalyze it too much here. But if it is bothering you, uh, you, you could certainly mention it. Um, and, and of course, don't forget that committing a sin, right? Um, some things are in fact sinful, they're objectively sinful, but, uh, if you don't think that it's a sin, that, that really does affect your culpability in any situation, right? Because you've got to know that it's a sin and willingly choose to do that. And, uh, in this case at that time, certainly your, your motivation was not to offend God in any, in any way, but now you realize, well, maybe it was, a Maybe not a nice thing that maybe I, I, you know, had a little put down of Mary. I would just simply mention that, um, you know, but don't but don't let that stress you out. Sometimes the devil wants to bring these things back to our minds. Uh, he knows that you love our lady now. Uh, God knows this as well. She knows that. Uh, so just continue to, to have faith uh, in our Lord and, and great love for our lady. And, and you really can't go wrong. So thanks so much for that call. Really appreciate that. Kathy. All right, let's go to Nathaniel in Lewis, Colorado. Hi, Nathaniel.
2: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I was just wondering, I have the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic mm-hmm. Edition. And yep. I do the daily readings, and I get those from the USCCB mm-hmm. website. And what I've noticed is that sometimes the psalms, like, they don't match, like, sometimes it's like not at all. Sometimes it's just off by a verse or two compared yeah. to what's in my mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. and what's on the USCCB website. Sure. But And then sometimes it's, that's, that's got to be a different psalm.
0: i just wondering what's going on there. Yeah, well, they're they're essentially using a a different Bible translation. So the translation that's used on the USCCB website, the Conference of Catholic Bishops website, and by the way, I subscribe to their daily email service where they send you the readings for Mass in your inbox every morning. find that very helpful in preparing for Mass, kind of going through those readings. But it's a different translation than the one I was talking about, the Revised Standard Version 2nd Catholic Edition. So the ones... Uh, the one that the bishops use is called the NAB the New American Bible and there's nothing wrong with that i mean the bishops approve it right i mean it's it's an approved translation like i said there are a lot of good english translations out there um if you have an NAB bible at home use it read it it's 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 the one that's used in the liturgy obviously so uh, in the united states so yeah, don't don't let that bother you at all and and again um, the most important edition is the one that you're actually going to read the bible that you're actually going to read so if you have an NAB read it Use it. Uh, don't wait. Uh, I, I'm just that was just a personal preference that I had when I shared that with you. But but there are lots of good translations out there. There's no doubt about it. But again, the way you know, it maybe uh, it's not it's not the only reason. But I love the fact that uh, hail full of grace is the rendering for Luke one twenty eight in the second Catholic edition of the RSV. Okay, we have got to take a quick break right now. But I wanted to read to you guys a couple of emails that I got in reaction to yesterday's episode. The very very controversial tweet that went out. It's been uh, viewed over 1.5 million times. I got to check. It's probably up to over 2 million now about this troubling trend about homeschooling moms of large families leaving their families and your reaction to that and more after the break. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Call in and I'll be right back.
1: Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: Hey, welcome back to the program. It's your last chance to get in today. It's the final segment. Give me a call, 888-914-9149, 914 9149 Well, yesterday we were wall-to-wall with calls for sure, and uh, I apologize again to all those who couldn't get through. You can try again right now, 888 And yeah, I was right. I, I looked it up. Uh, The tweet that we were talking about yesterday has now been viewed over 2 million times. Uh, A Protestant minister in Ohio talked about this trend. He's seen this happen. At least 30 men have come to him and told him about this happening to them. Uh, There's a trend right now, apparently, that uh, women in their 40s, wives, mothers of large families, conservative Christian families, very often homeschoolers, Suddenly are engaging in affairs Multiple affairs Divorcing their husbands And abandoning their families For various reasons We talked about what some of those reasons might be And a lot of you guys had takes on this I did get a couple of interesting emails Which I wanted to share with you after the show And uh, a woman wrote in to me And she said Please do not give my name I want to be anonymous uh, here as I tell you this So Kelly, I will not No, I'm just kidding no, I don't know what her name is It's anonymous But she said um, Hi, Kale I really think that Protestants in general do not see the sacredness of matrimony. I'd be willing to bet that this pastor's 30 men that have come to him telling him about this are lukewarm Christians. And then she says, I cheated on my husband before my reversion when we had only three children. I was a cold Catholic at best, not even lukewarm. She says, I'm now a stay-at-home mom of seven. I am now an on-fire Catholic, and I would never do that again now that I know our faith. I am absolutely worn, tired, threadbare tired, but this is where the men have a huge role to play. Give your wives breaks. Take her on dates often. Dress up for her, and she will dress up for you, etc., etc., Thank you for your wonderful show. Well, th- well thank you for writing. And, um, I, 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 you wrote in as, as an anonymous listener, and I'm going to respect that. And, uh, I thank you for writing. And she's, she's honest. She, she said that she herself had, had an affair early in her marriage. Uh, she had three children at the time. Um, obviously, uh, thank God they've been able to, to reconcile and, and, um, yeah, she's gone out and she she now has seven children. She's a stay-at-home mom. She's, she says, I'm threadbare, though. I'm worn out. And it, it is it is taxing. And that's one of the things we talked about yesterday, how taxing it is to be uh, a homeschooling mom. You're on 24-7. And very often, a, a lot of these moms who, who engage in these affairs, I think they were looking for some sort of a escape hatch, if you will, a, a relief, some sort of a respite, if you will, and this is not to excuse it in any way, shape, or form. This is, these are bad choices that were made, uh, but they weren't getting any kind of help, and they, they felt like maybe it was owed to them to have a little fun, quote-unquote. That, that could be one way of looking at things, but uh, one, one thing this woman says, I, I do agree with her that uh, we as guys have to have to help out here and, and somehow give your wife a break. Um, the date night, she mentioned the date night, That that's really crucial to make that... Uh, Something that you don't want to skip and, and make it happen often, it really does make a difference because the, the the absolute foundation of any family is that marriage between husband and wife. It's more foundational than the relationship with with one's children. Uh, it's more foundational than any other relationship that, that you have, humanly speaking. So you've got to uh, nurture that absolutely. And so anyway, so that, that was one email that I got, and also also, I, I got a message from Peter. Uh, who's listening in San Francisco, California, on 1260 AM, KSFB. And he, he wanted to weigh in on, on yesterday's show as well. He says, Hi, Kale. I just caught bits and pieces of this conversation, and I didn't get free in time to call in. But there was zero mention by anyone who called in about what I consider to be the most important factor. The gaping emptiness people are experiencing, women and men, It's not an emotional or an intellectual or or even a physical uh, emptiness. It's a soul-sized emptiness, which can only be filled by a conscious awareness of our own souls. He then goes on to write, people attempt to fill that emptiness with emotional closeness, uh, mental activity, physical activity, even sexual activity, but none of these things can replace conscious awareness of our souls. They can only fill a need that exactly matches the activity. They're not in any way interchangeable, even though we often attempt to make that work. For example, an emotional relationship only fulfills an emotional need. Intellectual pursuits only fulfill intellectual needs. Physical activity only fulfills physical needs, and so on and so on. But none of these are guaranteed, if more or less random. They must be the correct activity for the specific need. There needs to be widespread discussion of the mostly unconscious need to become aware of our souls. And he says spiritual leaders at whatever formal or informal level need to make the general public they interface with aware of this need to know our souls and make it conscious. Teach people how to become conscious of their souls. Encourage that process of awakening and of course, spiritual leaders attempting to teach something must have at least some level of direct personal experience of what they are teaching. Mere belief that I have a soul in no way satisfies the need to know my soul. May God bless you, Cale, and every member of your extended family and circles of friends and every person that you directly or indirectly interact with in any way, especially via your radio programs. With a thousand orders of magnitude acceleration of your spiritual evolution, sincerely, Peter. Thank you. I, I definitely need a, an accelerated uh, elevation of my spiritual evolution. There's no question about that. So thank you for that. P- please pray for me on that front. So that was from Peter listening in San Francisco. And I, I think he's right about a couple of things there uh, when he said that uh, people aren't aware of having a soul. I, I think that's certainly true. People, A lot of people walking around today don't think that they have an eternal soul. They're not, they're not aware of it. And there are physical things out there to meet physical needs. And that kind of reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis once said. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that for every need that we have, there's a corresponding item or something in the world to meet that need. If you're hungry, there is such a thing as food. Um, You desire to procreate, there is such a thing as marriage, uh, the act of marriage. But, he says, if we find within ourselves this desire, this need that nothing in this world can satisfy, Well, the answer must be, I must have been made for another world. I had to have been made for another world. it's very much what C.S. Lewis said was very much like what St. Augustine said in his confessions. You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Because that ultimate need uh, is something that we can only find in Christ. So, thank you very much for those emails. Let's go to Robert now, who's listening in Texas. Hi, Robert. Hi, good day. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for your call.
2: Um, I wanted to uh, uh, pitch in my comment on yesterday's topic. Uh, sure, it doesn't necessarily sure. mean, I mean, for 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 uh, women to be, you know, in a different looking for a different relationship. Uh, in my case, I've been divorced for three years now, and uh, I'm a father of two children. Um, and uh, a little bit of uh, on, on on it, it was that she met this guy like seven years ago. Huh. Uh, at, uh, her workplace. And then, huh. uh, I guess, uh, we became, you know, indifferent with each other. I think both of us, uh, in a relationship, both of the, the, the persons they need to be involved is not just yep. one person. It's not sure. only her fault and it's not only my fault. It's, it's between the two of us. Hmm. Um, right now I'm just you know um, I'm in depression. Um, and I'm just no. trying to uh, regain my
0: family. You know, Robert, I, I am gonna ask every single person who's listening right now to, to pray for you and um, I thank you for being so so open and, and calling in and sharing your heart here and, and I'm so sorry about what's happened, uh, in your marriage. And and this is a a situation that uh, obviously you're, you're not alone in this. And there are a lot of uh, faithful Catholics out there that are, uh, that have experienced this and they, they are asking questions like, what did I do wrong? (laughs) How could I fix this? If I could only go back in time. we, We can't do that though. Obviously we have to learn from the experience, but, um, we can just drive ourselves crazy with that. The most important thing to do now is to seek God's mercy, uh, his healing and his forgiveness right now. And and that's something that he is always willing to to extend to you. And I, I don't know whether the, the relationship can be repaired. I don't know whether uh, your wife w- would be willing or is able to, to come back to you at this point, but we can certainly pray for that, uh, for reconciliation. But... We do know this. We do know that that God certainly wants to uh, knit you back together inside and put you back together again, and and bring that that healing and and wholeness uh, to you. And and so, yeah, I'm gonna pr- I'm certainly pray for you this evening, uh, Robert. And, and again, I'm gonna ask everybody listening right now to please pray for you. And and um, I appreciate the courage that it took for you to make that phone call as well. It's that's it's not easy. That's not easy, and, and we got uh, producer Jim. We had a lot of phone calls along those lines yesterday as well. There, there are a lot of people who have experienced this, and and they're hurting, and they they need prayer. They they need support, and it's obviously um something that sometimes people probably don't want to talk about uh, within Catholic circles because. Uh, it means maybe they, they think that they've failed or, or they're not worthy and, and everybody else is living these holy lives and, I, and I've made a, a terrible mistake, i made a mess of my life or maybe it's been done to me and they just don't know what to do so um, you're not alone, you have this community, you have this family here on Relevant Radio and we are here for you and I thank you for calling in, Robert and everybody else who's struggling with this uh, be assured of all of our prayers for you I'm Kayle Clark. Thanks for listening to the program today. Jim Shaper produced. Young Thomas took your phone calls. Stay tuned for trending. Brooke has some amazing guests. We're going to talk about the canonization process of Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Stay tuned. Take it away, Michaela.
3: Thank you for listening to my daddy.